0: a question for you today that uh, is a searching question and that is are you a Sunday only Christian? Someone who comes to church on Sunday but really doesn't think about God or regard God during the week. Might might call yourself a a Sunday only Christian or a once a weeker. That's another uh, label for that. A once a weeker. Somebody who comes to church but Christianity really doesn't have all that to say, much to say into your life. Now this section of Romans that we're looking at uh, should convict us of Sunday-only Christianity, Uh, even if we're not uh, Sunday-only Christians. uh, There's something here for us about living out the Christian life. Beginning in chapter 12, just to review, since it's been a few weeks since we've, Looked at, the, looked at the book of Romans, uh, beginning in chapter 12, Paul shows us the practical, daily implications of the gospel. In chapters 1 through 11, he's laid out for us just what the Lord has done in saving sinners such as we are. God has pr- freely provided a way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, that's news. That's something that God has done how do we respond to that? You think about the news. You know, we we have a news cycle now that never stops, and we can know things practically as they happen in our day. And some news we ignore, some we pay attention to. When it has to do with uh, with our location, you know, you think about uh, weather reports and storms and things of that nature. We respond to the news that we've heard. We respond and. and Make preparation or 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 do what we need to do in light of what that news is. Well, the gospel is the same way. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has come into the world to do for sinners. Now, we hear the news. Do we ignore it or do we respond appropriately to the gospel? Paul's saying that our entire lives, every moment of the day, should be a response to to the gospel and that's what we have here in chapter 12 on through the middle of chapter 15 how do we respond to the to the gospel if the gospel is true how then shall we live our lives well he tells us first verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 he says that we should present ourselves to god as a living sacrifice to to completely give ourselves to the lord to put ourselves under him We should not conform to the pattern of this world, but rather we should be renewed and transformed in our thinking about everything. We should think about things in light of what God has done and and who God is and how he's created the world and and what he tells us about it, not what the world tells us about it. And then we should, verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, we should think of ourselves in relation to the church. How do we fit into the church uh, how do we how do we live out our faith and what's our faith like? We should be thinking about our faith and our our part in the church. How can we serve the church? What are our gifts and what can we contribute to the the growth and the building up of the church? And then verses nine through sixteen tells us that the gospel is true. We should love one another in the church. And not only in the church, but verses seventeen through twenty one, that love should be extended out even to our enemies. The gospel affects how we treat one another in the church and how we treat those outside the church. And then that brings us to chapters 13, 1 through 7. He's moving out into the world. How do we live in light of the gospel in relation to those who have authority over us? How does the gospel affect our relationship to the state? Now when you think about all the relationships that Paul has mentioned here in chapter 12 and 13, and he's got more to tell us, and we'll look at those in the coming weeks, but we've looked at our relationship with God, church, Christians, non-Christians, enemies, the government. You see, it's clear that the gospel has implications far beyond Sunday only. The gospel has implications for every moment of every day of our lives. Now, our relationship to the government we're looking at today, it certainly is a timely talk topic to think about this morning in our current political climate. And in reference to those in authority, uh, the government, we are faced with several temptations. How do we think about the government? How do we react to the government? Now, there's a couple of temptations I'll mention first. There's the temptation to give politics too much credit we tend to give leaders too much praise or too much blame we tend to think of uh, politics as the answer to all of our problems we can just get the right man in office and have the right policies then everything would be okay and americans today tend to think two ways about the president he's either the devil or he's the messiah and it just depends on which party you're affiliated with and which party the president's affiliated with, seems to be true. And this has been true throughout my lifetime, but especially in the last 10 years or so. A lot of that has to do with our social media and the ability to communicate with one another and to put our, all our opinions out there without any kind of accountability Republicans thought President Obama was the devil, and Democrats thought he was the messiah. Today, Democrats think President Trump is the devil, and Republicans think he is the messiah. The president, no matter who he is, he's neither the devil nor the messiah. But we are tempted to think that way about these things. Now, that's one extreme to put too much stock in politics But the other temptation is to completely withdraw from civic life. There are Christians today who are espousing this approach of withdrawal from the culture completely. It's being widely discussed, especially in uh, theological circles. It's easy for Christians to think, well, I'm a a citizen of heaven. I don't have anything to do with this this earth. And since I'm a citizen of heaven, then I don't need to vote or pay taxes or serve in office or, or do any of these things. Paul clearly is here saying that's not the case. There's got to be a a balance. So Romans 13 renews our minds, as he says in 12.2. It renews our minds and helps us to think clearly about God and government. It keeps us from the temptation to think politics is the ultimate answer to all life's ills on the one hand and from thinking that politics and government is insignificant on the other It's important to recognize in this section that Paul is not giving us a a discussion of church-state relations. He's talking to Christians, everyday normal Christians who were living under a godless regime in the Roman Empire and the church wasn't old enough to have produced any leaders in in the, the civil sector. And so Paul's telling them how they should live as citizens of Rome, or citizens of any other country for us. So he's telling us how should we live in relation to the state. Let's hear God's word on the subject, Romans 13, 1 through 7. God's word says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Now there's a principle here behind all this instruction and it's the fact that God is the ultimate authority and he is the one who delegates all authority on earth. There's many verses, I'm going to read you a few here that affirm this truth. Proverbs 8, 15, and 16. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Daniel chapter 4, 17, says it several times in Daniel chapter 4. The Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Jeremiah 27, 5. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21 Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And of course, Christ, the ultimate authority, Daniel chapter 7 tells us that he, well he has a vision of one like the Son of Man who came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So he is the ultimate authority. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 15. To Christ returns, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So any approach to thinking about authority. must start with God. God is the ultimate authority. And anyone who has earthly authority of any kind. Has been granted it by God. Even The godless Roman Empire. We have several duties here, mainly to submit to the government. That's what verse 1 tells us. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And he tells us it's right to do so because God has established civil governments, Uh, they deserve our respect and our submission. And also, those individuals who are ruling or exercising authority are in those places because of God's providential control of all things, control of all history. You see it all throughout the Bible. God raises up leaders. Even the ungodly ones are put there. God used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to bring judgment. Uh, upon the Jews, upon Israel and Judah. They were an instrument in his hands. It affirms that throughout the prophets who prophesied during those days. God allowed that to happen. You can look at Job and see even Satan has certain authority, but it's under God's rule. He allows Satan to do certain things. God's the ultimate authority. Even Satan has to get permission from God to do whatever he does. We may not understand it completely or fully, Why would God give us this leader or that leader? Why would God allow North Korea to be under the rule of the regime that is there now and has been for some time? But the Bible affirms that even those wicked rulers are part of his plan, part of his will. Well, Paul says it's the right thing to do to submit to these governments. And we'll talk about whether that's absolute or not in just a moment. But first, and secondly, really, first, it's right thing to do. Secondly, it's a wise thing to do. You think about government and the gift of government that God has given us so that there's order in society. God has given us those in authority so we don't have to be in fear of the one in authority. We have rules and laws, and the, the government is there to uphold the, God's law in the, in the world. Do the things that are right and true and moral, just. And if if everybody did what they wanted or took the law in their own hands, well, we've seen how that happens or what happens when when people do take the law in their own hands or or mob the mob rules. God has given people to bear the sword, for example. God has given us government to, to give order to society. Now, it seems like he's saying here that as we submit, it's a good thing to do, it's a right thing to do, it's a wise thing to do, but is it absolute? I mean, he's saying this in pretty strong terms. Uh, Those, uh, 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 verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. He's God's servant for your good, but what if he's not? What if he's not? Well certainly uh, as it says in verse 2 it seems like Paul might be saying as he says he who rebels against the authority is is rebelling against what God has instituted that seems pretty absolute but there are a couple of hints here verse 7 says give everyone what you owe him taxes revenue respect honor it reminds us of what Jesus said when he was questioned about taxes and such and he said, "Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's." I think Paul has that in mind as he writes verse seven, because in those days, especially when Caesar was in control in the Roman Empire, Paul's saying, "Yes, you shouldn't be an anarchist. You should pay taxes. Uh, you should be a good citizen." But you shouldn't give Caesar what's not his, worship. And that's what a lot of the Caesars demanded. They had to say, Caesar is Lord. And Christians wouldn't do that. See, there was a a limit. There's certain things that God has instituted, certain authority he's given to those who are in authority, but that which is God's should only be given to God. And we find... Many, many examples in Scripture where people, of course, refuse to say that Caesar is Lord. But also other people like like the disciples in Acts chapter 5 when they're told that it's against the law to preach Christ and the disciples say, well, should we obey God or man? We're going to obey God. We're not going to obey man. See? Or Daniel when he was told... That he could only pray to statues or kings. He continued to pray to the Lord. And then in verse 3, he tells us, For rulers hold no, no terror for those who do right. He is God's servant to do you good, verse 4. So the, since the, the magistrate or the, the rulers, the authorities, are God's servant, that clearly shows that they are accountable to God. Servant's not free to do whatever he wants to do. The servant is under the, the guidance, the lead of the master. He has to follow the master's will. And so those uh, those in authority have to answer to God for what they do. Now they may do what's wrong, but that's the wonderful thing about what Paul's saying here. God is the ultimate authority. And even when they are despots who are in authority and ruling, God is in control of these things, and there's a limit to what they can do. So if the state commands what God forbids, or if the state forbids what God commands, then yeah, civil disobedience is a Christian's duty. So this I was not saying that it's absolute submission to it. We submit absolutely to God. And as long as the the rulers and those in authority Are submitting to that as well, then we're all happy campers. So you have people in Scripture like Joseph and Daniel. They worked as magistrates, leaders in terrible governments, bad governments, wicked governments, governments that that opposed God, and they served there. But then you have also uh, examples where people courageously disobeyed, like I mentioned, the disciples. Daniel, Jeremiah, and others. Hebrew midwives in the days of when Moses was a child. They were commanded to kill the, the Hebrew babies, and they didn't. They lied about it you know, because they didn't want to do what God had forbid. Well, how should we respond? Of course, we need to be submissive. It also tells us we need to be respectful. But as we think about those temptations... We should give them respect and submit to them as far as they are helping us to submit to God's laws. So we should have respect for that. But also be calm as Christians. We don't have to get all upset because our man's not in office or we don't like the policies that this guy's... We can be calm because God's in control of all of history. And we don't know all of his purposes, but... We know that he's either there, the man that God has put in place is either there to bless us uh, or he's there to bring judgment upon us or to bring a trial into our lives. It's all to serve the purpose of drawing us into a deeper relationship with God because all things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, even bad leaders. So we can be calm about it and rest and at peace about the situation and then know that we can participate in civic life. It's a good thing to get involved. He's inviting us to get involved. When you pay taxes, you have a right to say, well, I want to, I want to hold somebody accountable for how these taxes are spent. I'm participating in government when I pay taxes. So we're not pulling back. We're not doing the holy huddle where all the Christians bond together and they don't want to have anything to do with the culture at large, we're getting involved. And people like Joseph, people like Daniel are examples to us. of Men who are called, Christians are called, to be involved in civic life, in political life. Full participation in in being citizens of our country, our nation, wherever it is we might be. Now, as we think about the gospel... You know, this is putting us in the right relationship between God and the world, and that's what Christ has come to do to make that relationship between us and God right. He's the mediator between God and man, right? But it also gives us the proper perspective on all the relationships in our lives. So as we live our lives on a daily basis, we need to be informed from God's Word about how to interact, whether it's in the church, outside the church. Politics, government, God has given us everything we need for our lives that we might be completely equipped, as 2 Timothy 3, 16, 15 and 16 tells us. Well, as we come to the table today, we want to remember the greatest king, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and what he did for us. You know, he became a servant for us. and Really, that's the model for all good authority that the people who have been put in authority are there to serve their people. And there's no greater example than Christ who laid down his life for us, that we might have life. And he has been exalted to the right hand of God in every tongue and will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords and every knee will bow. And we'll join him. We're joint heirs with Christ. And we celebrate that today. We celebrate what Christ has done for us. The king, the king over all things, the one who has complete and total dominion and authority and rule. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a better grasp of how we can live every day for you in whatever relationships we have, whether it be to fellow believers, to even our enemies or to the state. Lord, guide and direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.